0: Thank you Pastor Mark for that prayer of supplication and Sister Amy and Sister Megan thank you for the beautiful special uh, that you rendered for us this morning and Brother Mark Armstrong thank you for sharing your talents on the trumpet and uh, it just adds to the uh, joy of our celebration of worship this morning and thank all of you for being here to share in uh, worshiping the Lord on this Christmas Lord's Day. I think we'd all agree that as Americans we have just survived one of the most grueling uh, election years or two years uh, probably in recent memory. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the campaigns and all the speeches and the commercials are all behind us. But in the course of the last couple of years, particularly this last year, we've heard a lot of promises uh, on both sides of the aisles. Uh, people making all kinds of promises in debates and in uh, speeches and in the television commercials. and uh, and so. But we're all wise enough to know that not all of those promises will come true. I mean, I don't think we all bank on all of the political promises being made. In fact, we'd probably be shocked if most of them are, are actually honored uh, at whatever level of the office that they are made. But that's what politicians do. But in the life of the believer, aren't you glad, aren't you just comforted to know that the Lord that we serve, the sovereign God of the universe, the almighty creator of all of creation, our Father in heaven, who has made many, many promises. You go back through the word of God, you'll find many reassuring, wonderful promises, some that have been totally fulfilled, some that are being fulfilled even now, some that we experience every day. But aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father has never and will never break a promise. Anything in the Word of God that God promises, I promise you, it will come true. It has come true. You know, at unarguably the darkest hour in the history of humankind and humanity, when all hope appeared absolutely lost, our great God, our sovereign Creator, our Father issued a promise that sparked a flickering flame of hope, and I want to call that this morning the Christmas promise. And so, as we look at the text this morning, as, as I walk, have you walk with me through the scriptures, I want you to see how what God gave as the I call a Christmas promise came to fruition in what we celebrate transpired there in. Bethlehem that first Christmas I couldn't help but notice as Megan was singing that song a beautiful song that she had a line in there that said here is the promise we have waited for and the christmas promise is the promise that the world has waited for and continues to wait for and so if you'll turn in your bibles back to the book of genesis in the very beginning i want you to see where the promise originated For something to originate simply means, according to Webster, to cause, to exist, to produce, to create. And this promise that I'm calling the Christmas promise originated, if you will, was created by God a long time ago. In fact, it was at the darkest moment in human history. It was at a time of man's fatal fall to sin. His fatal predicament You might say, I think the 17th century poet, John Milton, in his epic poem, got it right when he entitled that that um, classic piece, Paradise Lost. Because that's exactly what happened in the book of Genesis in the beginning when we know that God created a perfect world. And in that perfect world, he had two of his premier creations, man and woman. And yet, in that perfect environment, despite the warning that God had given them in Genesis chapter 2, if you look there in verse 15, God had warned the man, it says, then the Lord, in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God gave him a very clear warning. It didn't take very long till Genesis chapter 3 that we see that man disobeyed God, which was a fatal, spiritually fatal mistake. A deadly mistake. It was sin. We see in chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6 that the woman, Eve, was being tempted by the serpent, who was empowered by Satan. And we know that in that temptation, the serpent was questioning God and leading Eve to question God. As God said that you can't eat of any of the trees. And she said, oh, no, no. God has said that we could eat of the trees, but of the one tree in the center of the garden. God has said, don't eat of it. In fact, she elaborated a little bit more. And I'm sure Adam had maybe tried to warn her. And she said, don't even touch it. And the serpent said in verse 4 of chapter 3 to the woman, you will not surely die. First lie, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree, desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. I thought it was interesting that Adam was with her. It wasn't like he was on another part of the creation He was watching everything transpire, silent, though he was entrusted with responsibility of being the head of his wife. In partaking of the element, we understand that this was a deadly sin. In fact, sin is deadly. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23? The penalty of sin is death, eternal separation from God. Not just partaking of the forbidden fruit, but any disobedience to God is deadly. And so the the fate of mankind, you might say, looked very bleak at that point. Because God was bringing judgment upon man, man, because of his sin, would be separated from God. What hope was there for the special creation of God? But just as we see man's fatal predicament, we also see God's merciful pronouncement. We know that God did pronounce judgment, beginning with the serpent, and then to the woman and to the man. God is a holy God. He's a just God. He will bring judgment upon sin. He can't ignore sin. But in the midst of offering his. Or pronouncing his judgment. Upon their sinful disobedience. We see the light of grace break through. The light of God's mercy break through. We see God's grace provide the promise. Of a redeemer. Because as you look in chapter 3 verse 15. You find embedded in God's. Pronouncement of a curse upon the serpent. You find embedded in that a promise. A promise to all of humanity. Because in verse 15, God says, And I will put enmity, he's talking to the serpent, but more specifically, he's not talking to the crawling, creepy serpent snake, the creature that would be condemned to crawl around on its belly for the rest of its existence, but God was speaking to the spiritual entity behind the snake. We know him as Satan. So in cursing the snake, God was looking through the snake to the eyes, the beady eyes of that fallen angel, that great angel, Lucifer. And he says, and I have a word for you. I have a promise for you. And then in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, in my Bible, that translation is the, the word seed is capitalized. To speak of the Lord. Could, could I challenge you just to think for a minute now? We know that in the beginning, the three part, persons of the Holy Trinity are present. They're there in the creation. Why wouldn't they be there in the pronouncement of the judgment? So, isn't it interesting that you have God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, but you have God the Son speaking virtually of Himself? Well, that in the fulfillment of this very promise and prophecy... That he himself would be that seed. Now at that time people would scratch their head. How in the world is it possible for God to be seed of woman? And yet we see that fulfilled in the very birth. The virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has given a promise here. That says that through this seed. He will offer hope. He will offer a promise To humanity, because look what he says. And he and between your seed and her seed, he, speaking of the Lord, shall bruise your head. It's fatal. And you will bruise his heel. And Satan certainly did over the course of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. As he taunted the Lord, as he tempted the Lord, as he caused harassment to the Lord and the followers of the Lord, and he continues to do that. But the Lord would deliver the fatal blow to Satan. But God's promise was not only originated there in Eden, but it was also projected through His faithful servant Abraham. This is after the flood. This is when God was looking for a faithful man, a man of faith, and He saw the man Abraham. And God came to Abraham, we know because he knew that through Abraham he had to continue the promise that he had issued there in the Garden of Eden and in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 God said to Abraham I will make a great nation of you and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you and all the families of the earth did you get that? It's not just the Jewish families of the earth. God said to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So the promise is being projected even through Abraham. I thought it was interesting because you know the story. Abraham and Sarah were without children for so long. Going on up to their 90s and approaching 100. My dad just celebrated his 90th Birthday just last month. I dare say if my mom were still with us, they wouldn't be talking about family planning at this point. I mean, after 11 children, you're probably ready to stop. But we know that's when God miraculously blessed Sarah to have her first child, Isaac. And he was the promised child. He was the very one that God was going to fulfill this promise through his descendants. You know the story in Genesis chapter 22 when God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. Isaac, I want you to take him up on this designated mountain and there I will have you build an altar and I will have you sacrifice him. I don't know about you. I'm sure I know about you. Those of you who are parents, grandparents, can you imagine getting such a marching order from God to sacrifice your precious child on an altar and yet Abraham didn't miss a beat? He followed God's directions? Took his son, took the wood, took the servants, went up to the mountain. And I thought it was interesting along the way. As they were making their trek upwards, 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 just Isaac and his father now because they left the servants at the foot of the mountain. And Isaac being a young man. And, and, and Abraham over 100 years old. Logically, Isaac was a young strapping young man. He could have whipped his daddy and said, you know, when he found out what was going on, forget this. But what faith he had in his father, what faith his father had in God. And what I'm getting at is along the way, Isaac asked his father, says, look, here's the fire, here's the wood, but, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Dad, we got everything, but, but the offering. In Abraham's mind, he knew that that would be Isaac. But I, Abraham responded by faith and said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. You know the story. As he got to the top of the mountain, built the altar, got the wood on it, and told his son. And his son willingly allowed his dad to tie him up, laid him on the top of the wood. As Abraham had the knife, poised to plunge into the heart of his only son, God said, that's enough, stop right there. And he says, I have provided, I have provided the lamb. And in the thickets behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horn, But you see, God was projecting through Abraham what he himself would do for all of humanity. That precious lamb of God would be the very son of God one day. Except God wouldn't stop at the point of death in his son giving his life. So we see this promise being projected through a faithful man like Abraham. In the text that you find in your, your worship guide, I just want you to go over to the New Testament. Because Paul picks up on this wonderful relationship between God... And Abraham in writing to the church of Galatia and he's explaining that when it comes to God's promises and our faith not even the law takes precedent over that not even the law look what Paul is saying there in Galatians chapter 3 verse 15 he said brethren he's writing to fellow Christians he, he said I speak in a manner of men Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. You see, God was making a promise to Abraham that projected to his own son, Jesus and he said in verse 17 and this I say that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect for if the inheritance is of the law it is, of, it is no longer a promise but God gave it to Abraham by promise God promised Abraham that the promise that I made in the garden to the first man and woman that there would be hope. They, they could not see it. That things looked fatal. That things looked hopeless. God gave them a promise that somehow through his plan he was going to work it out. So that man who would be banished from the garden would one day be reconciled in fellowship with the creator God. And God is in, as much as saying to Abraham this promise will live on through you and your descendants. And if you look at the genealogy given to you in Matthew and in Mark, I mean, Luke, you'll see, particularly in Luke's, I mean, uh, Matthew's genealogy, that it traces Mary all the way back to Abraham. And so we know that this promise that God gave, even at the dawn of human history, God would fulfill centuries later. We find that down through the centuries, the prophets, and you could almost pick, you take your pick of the prophets that would speak of this, this Messiah, the promise of God to reconcile his people to himself. Isaiah, we know classically, talks about the coming of the promised one. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And in chapter 9 of Isaiah, find these texts in many Christmas cards. Verse 6 For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophets were proclaiming through the megaphone of a biblical prophecy that God has given a promise. He has uttered words of hope to mankind and they will be fulfilled in the Messiah who is to come. And when He comes, He will be God with us. So we see the promise originated and projected, if you will. But let's talk about the promise consummated and that verb consummate means to finish and to complete and to make perfect. And, we, and this brings us up thousands of years later the, to Abraham and that group. 2,000 years plus back for us. But we're talking about the moment of the birth of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the miraculous birth of Christ introduced to Incarnation. This is a consummation of the promise that God had originated all the way back at the creation of man. The miraculous birth of the Son of God. We find that recorded for us in the words of Matthew. And of course you all know it very well. But I think I extracted out one episode in that wonderful story of the birth of Christ. And I focus not on Mary, but I focus on Joseph. It's one thing for Mary to believe that she is going to bear the Son of God because, hey, Gabriel made a special appearance and told her firsthand what was going to happen. But here's Joseph, he's taking this at his wife's word. And so being a just man, the Scripture tells us, Joseph is contemplating, should I just privately divorce her? He loved her. He wanted to do the the merciful thing and and the right thing for her. And as he's contemplating this in chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 20, it says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus which literally means savior. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. Which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying. Behold a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which is translated God with us. You understand that the promise of God could not be consummated. It could not be made perfect. It could not be made a reality had God chosen to stay in heaven. It required that God do the unthinkable. Holy God, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God condescend Himself down to this sinful world and be in the midst of mankind. And yet that's exactly what Emmanuel means. It means what? God with us. I don't know about you. One of the great things to celebrate at Christmas is the fact that God is with us. He was with us 2,000 years ago when he was born in that little stable manger in Bethlehem. He was with us when he walked the earth in the 30 years of his ministry. But let me tell you something. Jesus said in John fourteen six. he says, I will pray the Father and he will send another helper that he might abide with you forever. So, Every one of us who are believers in the wonderful Christmas promise celebrate the fact that God is with us. And he's also told us in his word he'd never leave us nor forsake us. But not only did the the miraculous birth demonstrate that God was willing to condescend himself to come down to man, but from another gospel perspective, the gospel of John, listen to how John writes from that eternal perspective, looking at the divine throne of God and, and, and God the Father, God the Son. Because John revealed to us that Jesus Christ revealed the glory of God. Not just the presence of God, but he revealed the glory of God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, John says, In the beginning was the word speaking of Christ, logos. In the Greek means, that's Jesus. And the word was with God, talking about for eternity past. And the word was God, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Make no mistake about it. Two, three persons, one God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. And the scripture continually affirms that. For by him and through him and for him, all things are created, the apostle Paul tells us. In him was life and the life was uh, was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. In verse 11 he says he came to his own. Speaking of Christ he came to his own. The Jews and his own did not receive him. But in verse 12. But as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Look down at verse 14. And the word became flesh. Some translations say it was made flesh. But the eternal word. The second person of the holy trinity. Jesus Christ was made flesh. The incarnation. But look what John says and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Listen, it's one thing for Jesus to come to the earth and simply say I'm here to die for you. But to take 30 years or the the period of time particularly three years of his ministry and to reveal to people he preached to them the love of God. He preached and taught to them the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He was revealing things with authority that the the best of the rabbis and the priests had never revealed to the people of God. And the people would sit back in amazement and say, what manner of man is this? Not only that, but he he revealed the grace of God towards lost and sinful humanity. And God consummated His promise through the miraculous birth of His Son, His incarnation. But the promise of God, the Christmas promise was consummated, if you will, also in the death and the resurrection of Christ as He provided redemption. That little innocent baby that lay in that manger in swaddling clothes that was cradled at the breast of Mary who knew no sin would one day be the very sacrificial lamb of God. We know that because the Scripture prophesied that. I won't take you back there to read it, but you can go back and read Isaiah chapter 53, the great suffering Messiah, suffering servant chapter of prophecy. Oh, how accurately and how graphically Isaiah describes how Jesus came and was beaten beyond recognition. He was despised. And even though all of us like sheep, Isaiah says, we've gone astray. The Lord placed upon him the sins of all of us. You see, in his dying, he saved us. That's significant. Paul, in Romans in chapter 5, listen to what he says. But God, in verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only that But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation list. It was through the death of Jesus Christ that our sins, the penalty of our sins were paid. It is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of his earthly mission, that we were made to be reconciled to God. And Paul, as much as said, that we would identify in the death of Jesus Christ in chapter 6. Look what he says in chapter 6 of Romans, verse 3. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul is saying, in essence, you died on the cross with Christ by faith when he died on that cross he wasn't dying for his sins ladies and gentlemen brothers and sisters he was dying for charlie martin's sins he was dying for your sins and in faith by faith we died with him on that cross but listen to what paul says in verse four therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that's why the ordinance of baptism is such a beautiful picture Of that which has happened within us symbolically when we're lowered under the waters. It it portrays visibly to all of those who are witnessing the ordinance that at one point you died by faith. You died to your sins with Christ. But hallelujah. When you're raised up out of that water and we preachers try to make sure we do that. And we lower down under the water. We try to within a reasonable time get them back up but Paul says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection because Jesus Christ came into this world died on a cross was buried in a tomb and stepped out of that tomb on the third day by the glory and the power of God let me tell you something when he stepped out of that tomb by faith Charlie Martin out of that tomb just as Jesus Christ by the glory and the power of God had resurrection life he has imparted that to you and to me through faith that was his mission ladies and gentlemen that was the promise of God that was the Christmas promise of God and yet that's not the end for those of you that are guests back in the summer I had the privilege of preaching a series of messages on heaven I don't know who got more excited. Probably me. Because I've always been just enamored with the whole idea of heaven. But you see, we talk about Advent season. We have certainly celebrated the first coming of Christ. But don't ever lose sight of the second coming of Christ. I know there are a lot of things to distract you and me in this world. There are all kinds of problems. There are all kinds of sinful distractions. There's everyday life. There's issues that go on. But let me tell you something. Please, please don't lose sight of the very biblical fact that this same Jesus who ascended into the clouds, the angels told the disciples there in Acts chapter 1, this same Jesus is coming again in the same way. He will come in the clouds. He will come in glory And after the rapture of the church and after the great tribulation and after Jesus returns victorious and he slays all of the sinful armies gathered against him and he casts the false prophet and the antichrist into that pit of fire. Listen, when Jesus establishes his reign on the earth and even Satan is after a thousand years given a chance to rebel and he then ends up throwing Satan into the fires of hell and then the great white throne of judgment. Let me tell you something. It's just beginning for you and me. I know in these Christmas feasts that we enjoy, so oftentimes we'll have a big feast, and whoever the host or hostess is may tell us, you know, hold on to your fork. The best is yet to come. They don't have to tell me. I'll bring a spare fork just in case they get mine, because I know. I grew up, I'm O.C. Martin's son. I don't understand about these things called dessert john that great vision given to him in revelation in chapter one this is after the new the the earth the old earth and the old heaven are destroyed the bible says there john says and i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away also there was no more sea then i john and guess what you can insert your name right there because john is right in future this is yet to to come this is yet to occur John was seeing it through vision. One day you and I will stand alongside of John, the apostle, and all the other apostles, all the saints who've gone ahead of us will stand there on the surface of the new earth, looking up towards the new heaven and descending down from the throne of God. John says, I saw the new Jerusalem, the city of God, and it will descend upon the very new earth where we are. That is prepared, John says, as a bride adorned for her groom. For I, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them. Did you get that? God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He has never been in the presence of mankind since the fall of man. And man was cast out of the garden. This will be the first time that we will be in the very presence of God. Because we will be like him. And you know this verse, but in that glorious consummation of the promise, the Christmas promise of God that's off there in the future but it's just as sure as today the Bible tells us and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying, there will be no pain, no disabilities no heartaches, no crime. I'm adding a few things, but the fact is that he says for the former things have passed away, when the Christmas promise of God is absolutely consummated, we'll be in our glorified bodies, we'll be in an environment that is absolutely absent absolutely void of any presence of sin I can't even think that way but there'll be no sign of the curse anymore the promise of God I know that great hymn written by J. Wilbur Chapman one day and what a wonderful summary one day, you know how Christ came and he, he, he revealed the glory of God and one day He gave His life to pay the price for our sins and, and one day He ascended to be with the Father but one day He's coming again to receive us unto Himself. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Well, this would be a good time to stop, but I can't. I've got to finish the message. We talked about the promise originated. We talked about the promise, the Christmas promise consummated very quickly. Could I just offer for your consideration the promise propagated? The promise, the Christmas promise propagated. Do you understand? Propagation means to propagate something. is to make something known to many people. You understand how tempting it will be for us just to celebrate Christmas and say, oh boy, I'm so glad I'm a Christian and I joy to the world. The Lord has come. He's come for me. And, and, and keep it to ourselves. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not the plan. That's not the promise. That's not the intentions that God had for the promise. The world that we live in desperately needs a word of promise. Amen? Desperately. Because it's under the universal penalty of sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Paul said in Romans 5.12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, and we understand from Romans 6.23, the penalty of sin. And all have sinned. Every precious baby born, I don't care how innocent and beautiful they look, and perfect they look, they're born under the curse of sin. And the penalty of sin is eternal separation from God. But just as we have the universal penalty of sin, we have the unassailable promise of God. As I shared in John chapter 1 verse 12, but as many as receive Him, to them He gives the power, the authority to become children of God. How dare we think that we could keep such a wonderful promise to ourselves when there are people out there who are spiritually dying. Didn't John three sixteen say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes upon Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who in the world has God entrusted you and me with? To take the promise, the same promise that gives you hope, that gives me hope, that drives me day after day, that causes me to look to the future, to look beyond this sinful world, to look beyond my limitations and understand that God's got something wonderful and great waiting for me. Listen, God has that same promise for people that you and I come into contact with. And the Christian's responsibility is to share God's promise, the Christmas promise, Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. You know these words. He said, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And don't let that word preacher trip you up because anybody can be a proclaimer of the gospel. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be seminary trained. You don't have to be ordained. Listen, if you are a Christian, a child of God, you are a proclaimer of the good news. You have every right that I have to tell people about the promise that is in Jesus Christ How shall they hear without a proclaimer? And how shall they proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring like glad tidings of good things. And Jesus said it quite plainly in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in your Jerusalem and your Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And I thank God for those whose beautiful feet are taking the good news of the gospel, the promise of Christmas, not just across the world, but even across the street. I thank God for those faithful servants of the Lord who understand the significance of the promise of Christmas and they're willing to get up out of their office chair and walk across the hallway to that person who shows no sign of knowing the Son of God and to take the chance of saying, hey, can I tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened in my life? I thank God for those godly men and uh, fathers and mothers who sit down with their children despite the, 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 the philosophies that are bombarding their brains from the society and say, let me tell you about the wonderful promise that we have that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. I thank God for the beautiful feet of those people who go out into the community and don't matter who they come into contact with, they smile, they say a good word to them, they befriend them, and they look for an opportunity to share the promise of Christmas with them because people need this. Let me tell you something. Something. some of you already have and some of, some of you will receive wonderful gifts during this Christmas time but I'm sure those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ would agree with me there is no greater gift than the gift of God salvation Romans 6.23 said the penalty of sin is death but the gift, hallelujah I'm so thankful that butt was in there The penalty of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But, but, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Amen? And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace are we saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. The Christmas promise is a wonderful, eternal, life given gift. That we all have the privilege and the responsibility to take to those who have not yet received it. And won't it be a glorious thing when we are there on that new earth and we see the glory of God. Somebody you don't even recognize comes up and hugs you by the neck and says thank you so much. Thank you so much for daring to share the gift of the promise of Christmas. Because you gave I received the gift of God and I'm here today. I ask you on this Christmas morning, how can we, who have been blessed to enjoy the eternal promise of Christmas, the redemption of our sins, share this, not share this precious gift with everyone we sense God leading us to share it with? Oh, today is a day of celebration. Celebrate the glorious gift that you have in Christ Jesus. Look beyond this world and all the worries that may weigh you down and understand that one day you'll be in the very presence of the Lord, not because of what you've done, not because of any merit of your own, but because of the grace of God demonstrated through His Son, Jesus Christ, in a promise that God made to humanity going all the way back to the dawning of history of humanity.